Hello everyone, my name is Aurelia and I just wanted to welcome you to the very first episode of That's Insane, where we talk about medicine, murder, and maybe more, but most definitely more because there's a lot of weird shit out there. I want to be respectful when talking about these cases, but I also want it to just be a conversation between friends. So with that being said, for the very first episode in the very first case, I have my friend Jessica here. Hello. So with that, we're just going to go ahead and get into the first story because like, there Shouldn't. is no news no, not yet. Um, at this time, <laughs> but there's still time for that. So you may have seen or heard this story on my TikTok already, but this is the longer version. And I was writing it and researching it. All I could think about was telling you the story and you being like, holy shit. Okay. At the end. Okay. Okay. So I hope I haven't. And no. even if you have, just make sure that you say holy shit at the end. Holy shit. Okay. okay. This is the case of Steven Stainer. Okay. So before I start this episode, I just wanted to say that there is a trigger warning for rape, child abuse and molestation, and sexual abuse. So if that is something that is triggering for you, then this might not be the episode for you. Okay. So, Stephen Stainer was born on April 18th, 1965 in Merced, California. I hope I said that right. Merced. M-E-R-C-E-D. Merced, California. Like, it's not Merced. Yeah, that sounds right. Merced, California. He was the third of five children, and his oldest brother was Carrie Stainer. Okay, cool. On December 4th, 1972, seven-year-old Stephen was walking home from school because his mom was late to pick him up when Irvin Edward Murphy approached him. Irvin was described as a trusting, naive, and simple-minded man, which is... Very 1970s Very thing much to so. say. Yeah. He had been passing out gospel tracts to boys walking home from school when he spotted Stephen. He was handing out gospel tracts? Uh, yeah. I think it was like tapes. Maybe? Okay. Okay. Don't quote me, but it was tracts, like T R A C T S. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying, like, T-R-A-C-K-S. Like, okay, but are they the same? I don't know. Well, whatever. He was handing out church stuff. Okay. So, Irvin had actually been recruited by a man named Kenneth Parnell, and Parnell had told Irvin that he was an aspiring minister. Parnell told Irvin he wanted him to help him abduct a young boy so he could, quote, raise him in a religious-type deal, end quote. Now, abduction is very... You know, the way of the Lord. Very much so. So. When I think of God, I think of kidnapping. I, yeah, when I read that, I was just like, okay. Anyway, so when Irvin saw Stephen, he went up to him acting like a church representative, asking for donations. He asked Stephen if his mother would be willing to donate items to the church. And when Stephen said she would, Irvin asked where he lived and if he could take him to his house. Remember, this is all Very. before stranger danger. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah. So once Stephen agreed, Parnell drove up in a white Buick, and Stephen willingly got in with Irvin. But then Parnell drove Stephen to a cabin in the Kathy's Valley. Interestingly enough, it was only a couple hundred feet from his grandpa's house, but Stephen didn't know because right. it's like the woods or something. Okay. Parnell molested Stephen the first night, and then almost two weeks later, he began raping him. 
Okay. Within the first week, Parnell had brainwashed Stephen that his parents didn't want him anymore because they couldn't afford so many children, and that Parnell was his legal guardian as awarded by the courts. And he, you said Stephen was seven at the time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was seven at the time. So, I mean, I literally am almost 30 and got scammed out of my <laughs> debit card. So, information. you know. Well, yeah. Well, if you hear something enough, you begin to believe it. And especially, like, at that age, like... You're so impressionable. Yeah, you are going to believe what any adult tells you. Right. And, like, awarded by the courts, I'd be like, all right, well... That sounds fancy. I guess it's true. Right. So, Stephen was even calling Parnell dad within that first week. And Parnell started calling Stephen Dennis Parnell but kept his same middle name and birth date when enrolling him in schools. So they moved around often and stayed in the Santa Rosa and other locations in California. A lot of classmates said that Stephen was shy and sweet, but he never let anyone drop him off directly at the house and always asked to be let out at the driveway. So he was, like, leaving the house and and going to class and school. Parnell allowed Stephen to begin drinking alcohol at an early age and actually let him come and go as he pleased. Again, that's how, like, bad he had been manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. Parnell moved jobs often, and some of them would require him to travel, and he would leave Stephen alone for days, but Stephen never tried to escape. There was actually a period of about 18 months where a woman named Barbara, Barbara Mathias lived with the two, and Stephen said both parties would rape him on separate occasions when he was only nine. Barbara actually tried to help her now lure another young boy into the car in 1975, but it was unsuccessful. And of course, Barbara denies all of these claims and said she never knew Dennis was actually Stephen. So as Stephen entered puberty, he of course was growing out of Parnell's preferences and Parnell began looking for other young boys. He had actually used Stephen in a prior kidnapping attempt, but they weren't successful. Parnell said um, he felt this meant Stephen was a bad accomplice, but of course Stephen said he had intentionally botched these kidnappings. On February 14th, 1980, Parnell, Stephen, and Stephen's friend Randall Poorman kidnapped five-year-old Timmy White. Of course, Parnell began abusing Timmy, and while Stephen had never attempted to escape, he knew he couldn't let this happen to Timmy. On March 1st, 1980, Parnell was away at his night security job, and this is now seven years later. Stephen took Timmy and headed towards the road, hitchhiking back to Ukiah, where Parnell had abducted Timmy. Oh, wow. However, they couldn't find Timmy's house, so they then went to the police station. And Timmy is only five years old. Timmy was, of course, immediately recognized because his face had been plastered everywhere for two weeks. But it took the police a while to figure out who Stephen was, mostly because Stephen could only partially remember his real last name. So he's like 14 at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Stephen said in an interview that, quote, it was my do or die, and I also would be coming home for doing something positive. On March 2nd, Parnell was arrested, and police looked into his background and saw that he was a convicted pedophile with convictions for sodomy in 1951. So 20-plus years before this happened. Both boys were reunited with their families that day. In 1981, Parnell was convicted of kidnapping the boys and was sentenced to seven years. That's it? Seven years. It was the max under the California law, and he was paroled after five. Well, that explains why this happened again, because he probably... No, no, no. This was for this kidnapping. I meant, like, back in the 50s. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Oh, my God. Okay. He wasn't charged for the sexual assaults on Stephen. 
stating most of them occurred outside the jurisdiction of Merced County and the Statue of Limitations. Fucking Statue of Limitations, ma'am. Irvin was convicted of lesser charges for helping kidnap Stephen and... This says Sean Perman, but earlier it said Randall Perman. Okay. And Barbara was never arrested or charged. Of course. Which, I mean, I guess there's no way to prove any of her involvement. You know? It would all be hearsay. Because I guess she could say, well, I didn't know he was kidnapped, blah, blah, blah. Right, and how do you, you know, how do you prove that she helped rape him? Right. Stephen, however, said he felt like Uncle Irvin Murphy showed him a lot of kindness and felt like Irvin was just as much a victim of Parnell. So, like, even after all of this and knowing that Irvin basically lured him into this, he still felt like Irvin. And he's only 14. He was like, I feel like Irvin is a victim. Apparently, he didn't have a very high, like, IQ. So, I don't know how old Irvin was, but he was an adult. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he was an adult. Stephen's kidnapping prompted California lawmakers to, quote, allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases, which I don't know why that wasn't a thing before. Parnell died of natural causes at the state prison in January of 2008 while serving a 25-to-life sentence when he tried to convince his caretaker to abduct a young boy in exchange for $500. Wow. Nobody could have predicted that would happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Stephen, of course, had a lot of difficulty adjusting to a structured household, especially after he had been able to smoke, drink, and do whatever he wanted for the last seven years, and, of course, all the trauma from from that time Mm -hmm. he said in an interview quote i returned almost a grown man but my parents saw me as their seven-year-old after they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals again it got better end quote he also said his dad didn't hug him anymore and wondered if he shouldn't have come home oh i know it's horrible that is horrible Stephen briefly went to counseling but never looked for additional treatment and his dad actually didn't want him to get help from mental health professionals saying that he didn't need any. The 80s. (sighs) Yeah. There's still that stigma around Mm -hmm. it. His sister said in a 2007 interview that Stephen was actually able to have some normalcy. Normalcy? Normalcy? It's normalcy. But was very messed up. Yeah, no, like no fucking shit. Yeah. He was bullied by other kids and even dropped out of school. He drank frequently and was kicked out of his house. Mm. Of course, as you could expect, he had a very strained relationship with his dad. Mm -hmm. He refused to discuss all the details of his sexual abuse, which, like, I mean, understandable. Right. Especially when he wasn't being taken to any mental health professionals. So, like, who is he going to be detailing this to? You know? Or, you know, I wonder if he even blocked some of it out. Oh, I would imagine. might not even remember everything he's been through. 100%. So, Stephen married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson in 1985, so he was around the same age, and had two children. He worked with child abduction groups. He joined the Latter-day Saints and worked at a pizza shop in his hometown. Unfortunately, on September 16, 1989, Stephen died at the age of 24 after being in a motor vehicle... I'm sorry, after being in a motorcycle accident while on his way home from work. He collided with a car that blew through a stop sign and the car drove off and the driver was later identified by witnesses. 500 people attended his funeral Hmm. and Timothy White was a pallbearer. I know, that that like just gave me goosebumps Mm. and I freaking wrote it. Um, Timothy White went on to become an LA County Sheriff 
but died on April 1st, 2010 at the age of 35 from a pulmonary embolism. Dang. I know. Five months later, a statue was erected in Applegate Park in Merced featuring the two boys and in Ukiah, a statue was also erected showing the two boys holding hands while escaping. I know. That's, like, sweet, but also, like, really morbid to just, like, have this statue of, like, holding hands while you're I know. It's just an all-around such a, like, horribly tragic, no happy ending. No. Like, and they both died so young. Right. But that's not all. Oh, good. Okay. As tragic as this all was for the Stainer family, more was to come. You might wonder why this name sounds so familiar, and that's because in February 1999, 42-year-old Carol Sund was on vacation with her daughter and an exchange student in Yosemite when they went missing. On July 22nd of the same year, another woman was found after hiking in Yosemite, and detectives were able to identify a suspect which led them to a vehicle that belonged to Carrie Stainer, his older brother. That's right. Steven Saner's older brother, Carrie, went on to become a serial killer. Of course. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I told you there was twists and turns. I thought you were going to say he was a pedophile because, like... Well, I mean... Who knows? No, I don't I don't think he... Just... Dang. We'll get into Carrie Stainer on a different episode, for okay. sure. Because... That's its own... He's a pretty... Yeah, intense. And, like, just to think of, like, this family not only lost one son through trauma and then eventually through death Mm -hmm. but also basically lost another son through crime right i wonder like what caused that mentality for his older brother i wonder if like i don't think that this triggered i think when i was reading through things i don't think that it like was the initiation yeah i don't think so um but we'll get into that more okay. on a different episode. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. Okay. So that was the very first story. The very first case. That was a lot. Yeah. It was w- really interesting to read about because there's a lot of cases very similar to that. But this one just has all kinds of loop-de-loops. And- yeah, this one, in the beginning, especially, like... I saw a lot of parallels to the Missouri miracle of Sean Hornbeck. Mm-hmm. So. For sure. Um, I do want to say that I got my sources from, I think it's SanFranciscoGate.com, Investigation Discovery, and then, of course, Wikipedia. So that's all I have for you. So I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, if you have any recommendations, you can always send them to Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at that's insane underscore pod and yeah that's pretty much it thanks for listening i'll see you next week Whoa.